bad batch vaccines. What the? Dr. Kevin Barrett joins VT Radio to explain and analyze a new study by Danish scientists right here, right now on VT Radio. Let's go. With host Johnny Punish. Okay, and VT Radio's back with the fantastic Dr. Kevin Barrett with some absolutely interesting investigative news about some bad batches for the vaccines. Some new study coming out of a Danish scientist. Kevin, what's going on out there? Well, there's this these German-speaking scientists. I think maybe one of them is Danish. They did a, a study in Denmark, uh, and it confirms the stuff that was been out there for since early 2021 suggesting that there are radical differences in the number of adverse events reported from different batches of mRNA COVID vaccines. And oops, are we allowed to talk about that here? <laughs> well, not on YouTube. No, you're not. <laughs> so I guess this, this won't go on YouTube, but I'll, I'll put it on my no, Rumble show. Yeah. It's, but, but for all, we're on Rumble, so we, we promote Rumble because Rumble doesn't censor us. So if you're listening out there, use Rumble, please, and stop using YouTube. Besides, YouTube jacks me for... Uh, every time I post a, a song on there, because I, you know, I write music, they steal money from me and don't pay me a cent. So the hell with YouTube. How's that? Fair enough. Hey, yeah, I, I agree totally. Yeah, it's a uh, Asim Nagda speaks for me, right? She was the YouTube. Yeah, that's, right. That's my exactly. T-shirt. Yeah, yeah. Screw YouTube. So, so uh, <laughs> yeah, this this research and again, it's like the stuff I'm saying here is not some kind of you know out of left field, you know, paranoid conspiracy land stuff. But, yeah, I mean, I, I get that people were skeptical and a little paranoid back when these vaccines were coming out. I, of course, I, I was skeptical, but I was also skeptical of the claims, you know, some of the more extreme claims about the vaccines. And so when I heard that back in early 2021, that these researchers, but not super qualified ones, apparently, uh, were reporting a huge difference in the number of adverse events coming from the different batches of these vaccines. My first thought was, well, you know, this is pretty preliminary research by people who are not ultra qualified and it's looks kind of informal and the way they're doing it is just the number of adverse events by the batch number. Now these batch, some of these batches are apparently much larger than others. So, and also they came out at different times and those, these, these could influence. Plus, there it looks like they're just getting a selection from people who are self-reporting. So, if you hear about this, how bad is my batch website? And you had a bad experience, like Robert Malone did, for example. And then you contact the website and you put give them the number of the batch that you got your shot from. There might be an over-selection of people doing that. And so there are all these confounding variables. And so my response at the time was, well, I'll set this aside. And, you know, maybe this means that there really are huge differences between the batches. And if that's true, it could be that terrible quality control or it could be possibly deliberate. My wife, her first reaction was, oh, it's some kind of experiment. <laughs> I said, hmm, well, maybe. Well, I should have listened to my wife because now it's looking like it might be in this the German scientists or the, and I mean, whatever they are, the German speaking scientists who published this uh, are actually strongly hinting at the fact they suspect it looks like an experiment. In other words, uh, what they found is that approximately 60% of the batches uh, produce kind of high, moderately high rates of reported adverse events, that about 30% of the batches 
produce zero reports of adverse events, just none, nothing at all. And finally, 10% of the batches produce outrageously high rates of adverse events, averaging one in 10 shots, <laughs> a serious you mean way out of the norm for a normal medicine, so to speak. Is, is that right, correct? Right, right, right. Yeah. So, so to put it in the quantitative terms, I, I don't have this right in front of me, but as I recall, with the moderately high 60% of batches, what that means is that you get an adverse event report in like one out of every 600 shots or something, which I think is, is a little high compared to say flu vaccines and such. Um, but the zero adverse events reports from all from that 30% uh, of batches, that's kind of surprising. That's what you might get from a placebo shot like saline solution. And the this 10% of batches that are producing these super high rates of adverse events, like one, averaging one in 10 shots gives you a serious adverse event that you report. Uh, and and some of the, a couple of these batches were as high as one in six shots. That's uh, really extraordinary. That means there's something something in those shots. And the difference, see the difference between these levels means, what that means is that you can't just explain this away as, well, it could be that the, you know, the, the different sizes of the batches, no, that was actually taken into account. And you can't explain it away as, well, maybe the first batch rollout, everybody's paranoid, and so they like report a lot. No, the, the, the amount of these differences, the difference between like one in 10 or whatever, and, uh, and zero, or, you know, even between one in 10 and one in 600, it's so huge, that it's one of these situations where that result cannot come anywhere near being produced by chance or anything other than a really different composition in these different batches. So the question becomes, well, why is this? And I reached out to my stable of experts, the independent COVID skeptic experts that you're never supposed to talk about on YouTube, like Meryl Nass, uh, who's a biowarfare expert and medical doctor. She said, you know, she said, look, these, these German scientists, they, they seem to think it's an experiment, but I think maybe it's just horrible quality control. You know, she, she, she totally doesn't trust the companies that did this. And she thinks maybe they're just incredibly incompetent. Uh, Peter McCullough, see, this might be him on the phone, but I'm going to, I, I told him to call back uh, later. Uh, well, it's almost 1030. So anyway, we got started late here. Maybe that's Peter. Should I see if it's Peter McCullough? Sure. Okay, here we go. Right? Do it. Uh, hello. No, it's, it's uh, something else. Okay. Anyway. Call marker? What is that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's so. So uh, probably the CIA calling you. Yeah. No, that was just some kind of medical appointment thing. But gotcha. <laughs> and, and not totally unrelated to vaccine batches because I am proudly unvaccinated. And now I'm even more glad after looking at this stuff. Uh, but so, the, so Merrill thinks it's bad quality control. Peter McCullough, likewise, seems to lean towards that conclusion. Uh, but then Robert Malone gave me a really strange response. Uh, Robert Malone said, "I'm sorry, we're not allowed to talk about this. We're they there's we're not allowed to inquire into this." Is were his words. And then I, I shot an email back saying, uh, uh, well, why, why not? And then he just continued, he said that, that it's, it's Stonewall. He said, Who, who's stopping you from, from inquiring into this? He says, the government. And I said, well, may I ask how you know that you're not allowed to inquire into this? And who is the we that, along with you, is not allowed to inquire into this? And he didn't respond. So Robert Malone is, and he actually 
uh, one of the reasons I started taking this Bad Batch stuff seriously a while back was that he reported this himself. He got apparently a bad shot. He had a bad reaction from his COVID vaccine. He checked in with a How Bad Is My Batch website and discovered that he had a bad batch or his rather his the batch that he got shot with turns out to have caused a very high uh, rate of adverse events. And Dr. Malone is, of course, the inventor of the mRNA vaccines, or one of the inventors, and possibly the most significant one. I looked into the back and forth on that, and yeah, he's definitely played a major role, if not the biggest role, in developing the technology underlying mRNA vaccines. So this guy is obviously very qualified to understand what's going on here, and uh, he became a COVID dissident based on his bad reaction to that vaccine. So in any case, the fact that he is muzzled that and there was this maybe from some sort of non-disclosure thing that he may have signed with who the government he said the government okay so what what citizenship does he hold uh american okay so would it be the i guess would it be the american government is he is he in the united states well yeah yeah see see you know he he's robert malone has been uh you know a leader in developing this highly sensitive technology that was used in the mrna shots and that kind of highly sensitive technology often leads to you get the government agencies, the security agencies in, in the military moving in and maybe they fund a lot of the research, right? This is all biowar related. And then they get non-disclosure agreements and stuff uh, where the people working in these fields are not allowed to talk about the fact that they're like funded by the military or by the CIA or what have you. Um, and they're not supposed to talk about whatever aspects of their work that the government funders don't want them to talk about. So Dr. Malone was in that field, and all I can understand from his response here is that somehow um, it's they've let it be known that uh, that he's not allowed to talk anymore about this. After he published that one Substack piece about how he got a bad batch, uh, he hasn't talked about it much, and maybe now we understand why. So, but John, this... Uh, if 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 the German researchers are right that it looks like this was an experiment because that those thirty percent of batches they looked at that produced zero adverse events, as they said, these are placebos. These look like placebos. Uh, and if that's the case, if those were placebos, that means that this was an utterly illegal and indeed lethal uh, experiment on human subjects without their knowledge and consent. Uh, which is totally illegal under international law, uh, and it could get everybody involved, criminally prosecuted, and certainly uh, thrown out of the world of science permanently. And the question would be sort of, well, how how could this, uh, how, how could they be doing this kind of experiment? I'm still, I'm, you know, I have to post this, I have to send this article off today to American Free Press, and then I'll put it on my Substack, kevinbarrett.substack.com. Uh, it'll be up maybe within a couple of days there and then american free press will publish it thursday or friday and then I'll, I'll get it up at vt by next weekend and so it'll be you know when we get come back i guess we're not doing the show next week but in any case <laughs> uh by the time i figure out enough to finish my article maybe i'll have a better idea of the likelihood that this really is an experiment as opposed to poor quality control but it looks to me like it, it very i don't see why it couldn't have been because again this whole field as Dr. Malone's response to me suggests, is totally contaminated by classified bioweapons and biowarfare research. 
And there is a very, very strong circumstantial case that COVID emerged from a deliberate United States biological attack on China and Iran. Uh, Ron Unz has published a book on this that begins, it, the title begins with Our COVID-19 Catastrophe. I think the subtitle is, Was It the Result of Biowarfare Blowback? People should read that book and uh, look at the smoking guns in that book, including the fact U.S. intelligence knew everything about this virus that was going to explode out of Wuhan at a time when nobody else in the world did, least of all the Chinese. So the if they were experimenting on people, that actually would make sense because this is a biowarfare attack. It's a shot across China's bow with a moderately dangerous agent, not a super dangerous agent. It's demonstrating that we have the lead in this kind of technology. And so you'd better do what we want you to do, or you know, the next one could be right. worse. Right. It's we're shut we're messing with your economy. You're growing way faster than us, but not so much anymore after we do this to you. Uh, just like we took out your poultry supply and your pork supply with our bioweapons the last two previous two years in 2017-2018. And it's also demonstrating we are light years ahead of you and everybody else in mRNA technology, thanks to the classified work of people like Dr. Malone. <laughs> so we can whip out whatever bioweapons we want, and we can immunize whoever we want, our people, our important people, our allies if we choose, and everybody else dies, or everybody else suffers horribly. And Therefore, you must do what we say. So this is the scenario that would be behind the COVID mRNA shots, which the, the research by RFK Jr. and others has shown total military program. This is not a civilian health program at all. The whole COVID RNA mRNA thing is 100% military biowar related. The U.S. military developed these vaccines and they the U.S. military is known for conducting unethical experiments on troops. They do it all the time. They they killed huge numbers of American servicemen in Gulf War One, uh, who died like flies from Gulf War syndrome based on the ridiculous uh, vex the these dozens and dozens and dozens of vaccines, including this horrible anthrax vaccine that they shot everybody up with. Military, they're always doing these unethical experiments on people. It's part of the job. Their job is to kill people and lie about it. That's what you do if you're military. And This is nothing new, right, for the United States government historically. I mean, what you're proposing is quite evil, my friend. It, it is. Yeah, ab absolutely. However, here's their perspective, John. Here's what they're probably thinking. You know, you're, let's say you're a, a military leader in the biowar field. And let's say your funding is coming from, you know, the it's coming from the taxpayer, of course, but you're getting it because the, you know, the strategic community says, you know, these guys are making a case that bioweapons are really important, that biowarfare is going to be the wage of the future, wave of the future. And if we don't do it, the other side's going to do it first. And they're going to get us if we don't get them. So, right. okay, so now you, you're in that biowar field. You're getting all this money for it, right? And the more money you get, the happier you are, the more important you feel. And so your job is to really push that field and make yourself important and develop, you know, workable technologies that will give your country a big military edge over everybody else. So you you get this, uh, you know, you, you, you say, well, you know, whoever gets this first, whoever, whoever can attack the world with stuff that they can't protect against and we can protect whoever we want rules the world. You know, it's like this, this is going to be the post, this is going to be bigger than nuclear weapons. It's the next the big thing. 
And so what are we gonna do about this? Well, get somebody proposes, look, the Chinese are eating our lunch economically, they're gonna own the world real soon if we don't do something. That something might have to be bio attacks targeting their economy. Why don't we do a sort of experimental one and we can see if these this mRNA technology, which we own and nobody else has, can work and protect us and our allies uh, against this. And if it does, we will be in this position where we can threaten our adversaries with horrific destruction that we can protect our own people against or anybody we want to protect. We can protect them through our technology. So let's do a big experiment. You know, we're, well, it's a, both an attack against China and Iran, and it's an experiment because now we are going to force people, we're going to, we're going to put out you know, these mandates and just basically force huge numbers of people to take these experimental shots. And we're going to secretly no, do this huge experiment. Like, you know, the, there was that initial research using very small numbers of people that supposedly was, you know, showed that these shots were not so dangerous and they're safe and effective, yada, yada, yada. Well, no, no such thing. If you actually look at the details of those early experiments, they didn't show safe and expect, uh, effective. They had more people dying, or at least one of them did in the, in the shot group than the control group. And the efficacy may have been grossly exaggerated too. But anyway, they needed a big experiment to be sure. So they experimented on the entire population. And what this Danish study shows is that they they hit 10% uh, of the population with a strong version of the vaccine. Uh, and that would probably presumably be really effective against COVID. The only problem is it's going to badly harm a pretty high percentage of the people who get the shot. Then they're going to hit uh, the next 60% of people with a moderate dose of the vaccine. And they're going to hope that that's going to be the sweet spot where it's strong enough to work real well against COVID. Uh, but not so strong that it causes lots of adverse events, including deaths. And then finally, they're going to hit that 30% uh, of the subjects with a placebo. So they have something to compare these other two groups with. And so it looks like these German scientists have just discovered an experiment that the other side, the people who did it, probably already tallied that up right as soon as they did it. <laughs> and, uh, so it, it, it looks, you know, that this is, this is, I think, the most probable interpretation of it. And so I, I with all due respect to uh, Meryl Ness and, and Peter McCullough, both of whom I respect greatly, uh, my interpretation would be that the most likely explanation for this is that indeed this really was an experiment. Uh, I kind of hope I'm wrong, but on the other hand, you know, if they're so incompetent as to produce these kinds of grotesquely different batches out of sheer incompetence, that's really not good news either. Now, with the corporations that uh, finally made the vaccine, you know, uh, obviously, was, what, what were they? Uh, well, there's Moderna, there's, there's Pfizer. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Pfizer. Okay, uh, would they be in cahoots or they would they be unsuspecting? What, what do you, how, how do you interpret that? Are they all in it together or they were unsuspecting used by the government? Well, of course, everything is need to know. But no, obviously, these are military contractors. You know, uh, the U.S. biodefense program was largely shut down in the official military after President Nixon signed the uh, treaty banning you know, the, the uh, biological weapons treaty back in what nineteen early 70s. And what they did then was they got they destroyed a lot of these huge stockpiles of toxic biological agents that they'd been keeping around and in the official military and they transferred the entire program to the covert world now the covert world had already been doing some biological warfare stuff going back to korea the military hit 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 korea with biological weapons at a pretty uh, disgusting scale 
during the Korean War. And uh, subsequently, the biological warfare world kind of bifurcated. And one half of it went into the conventional military, which built up these big old stockpiles and means of delivering them. And then the other half went into the covert operations world. And basically the same people that did mind control research with projects Monarch, MKUltra, and so on, were also doing the covert biological warfare, both research and actual attacks. And the U.S. attacked a number of countries with biological weapons during that period. Uh, it attacked Cuba with uh, a uh, pathogen causing dengue fever, uh, killing um, hundreds of Cubans, including a fair number of children. And the Cuban government to this day accuses uh, a number of specific American biological warfare scientists of murdering those people officially. This is the official Cuban government position. And one of those guys that they accuse of murdering Cub Cubans with a, a biological attack on Cuba was the lead author of the seminal paper trying to convince us that COVID just happened to jump to humans from, from bats. Uh, and that anybody who's saying is anything else is a terrible, evil conspiracy theorist. That that guy was the lead author on the paper that shut down everybody and led social media to ban you if you say that COVID might be a bioweapon, uh, even one that escaped by accident. So there's this whole history of U.S. biological warfare through the covert uh, operations apparatus, and especially the really nasty part of it that does mind control research. And that, that what happened when Nixon banned biological weapons, or rather signed that treaty that prohibited uh, development of offensive weapons, but allowed for research on quote unquote defensive ones. So what did they do? They just moved the whole thing over to the covert side. So they gave it to the same covert operators, the same mind controllers, all these nasty covert creeps. And then they, uh, they also started funding people like Robert Malone. Uh, that is the scientists, uh, many of them, most of them actually, so they, the scientists would be either working for universities or quote unquote private companies, uh, or some combination thereof. But where's the money really coming from? Well, a lot of it is coming from the military and intelligence community. That is, it's earmarked for biological warfare. So the biowar program moved into, into this covert space. And these companies like Pfizer and Moderna, are really the equivalent of like General Dynamics and, and so on, these millet Northrop Grumman. They're basically military contractors. The people who work for these companies are basically ex-military, ex-intelligence people who are biological warfare experts. And now there may be some individuals in these companies who don't understand that, who don't know the score, right? Because they don't, it's all need to know. But no, these, these companies are effectively just part of the U.S. military intelligence biological warfare program. That's what Moderna is, and that's what Pfizer is. And they do this other, you know, some non-military pharmaceutical stuff is covered. Right. Now, take us through the history, because uh, some of our readers and listeners around the world may not even know, but the U.S. US government has a history of, of doing some really bad things. Uh, I mean, just off the top of my head, I mean, heck, the United States is the only one that's dropped the atomic bomb. I mean, that's let's go with that one first. You know, just killing hundreds of thousands of people. Um, it, it, does this predate that the, the history of the United States doing this kind of things and and getting involved in these experimental things that to hurt human beings for the benefit of what they think is the greater good? I guess is that, I guess that's what they're calling it. I don't know. What say you about that? Am I am I right or wrong there? Yeah. Well, the I mean, the U.S. government. And the powerful uh, oligarchs who have always ruled the United States 
uh, have committed all kinds of atrocities, done all kinds of grotesquely immoral things along the way, which shouldn't really surprise us that much. Um, and so let's not be shocked about this, right? Well, no, yeah. I mean, come on, like, like, look at our history, right? We've up until the Civil War, the most powerful faction of the American elite was the slaveocracy, right? The, the people who'd gotten incredibly rich off of human chattel slavery and working people to death in the fields. And in the, after that, a new plutocracy or a new, a new group became the dominant element of the American plutocracy when the first group was, was knocked down by this after the Civil War. And this, this new uh, ruling elite was you know, people who had ruthlessly made money by uh, all kinds of means, both fair and foul. You know, they could be railroad magnates. They could be uh, oil people like uh, Rockefeller, uh, you know, banking people. Uh, and, of course, the bankers always have a big say. So there's this plutocracy of very wealthy, uh, unscrupulous people who dominate the United States. And the higher up you go in the power hierarchy, which is the wealth hierarchy, in the United States, your power pretty much corresponds to your wealth. Not every wealthy person bothers to use their potential power, but many do. And, and so that group, this plutocracy that's always ruled the United States has never been very scrupulous. And things, you know, they, they there were horrors like the Spanish-American War, things that were done to the Philippines and so on, of course, with the uh, massacres of Native Americans, or all these kinds of uh, you know, examples of, of horrible, immoral things that were basically done by the U.S. elite. Uh, but when we get to World War II, this is when the U.S., really seals the deal, takes over the world and starts trying to, you know, rule the world. Uh, it, it becomes a, you know, globe straddling empire and unleashes many of the worst of, of these, you know, people who are unleashed the criminality of the most venal section of the uh, elite. And so these, these criminals uh, did everything from, you know, the war crimes of World War II, which, by the way, the uh, U.S. And, and allied war crimes were probably much worse than the German ones. Uh, and I urge people to go and look at Ron Unz's uh, World War II revisionist articles. There was one that he just published a month or two ago uh, making that case that the basically the story that we're told about World War II is a myth. It's victor's history, and its real purpose is to whitewash the crimes of the victors against the vanquished. That the, the real Holocaust was the Holocaust of the Germans by the occupiers who killed probably more than 10 million Germans after World War II uh, during this genocidal occupation of Germany. And the other Holocaust that we're told about, um, well, yeah, there was an ethnic cleansing program against Jews, but it's the story that we're given in all these Hollywood films and museums, let's face it, is grossly exaggerated. Again, read Ronan's work uh, for details. So... Uh, we were the bad guys in World War II. Owens makes the case that Roosevelt basically orchestrated the war, uh, both for his own power, his own political reasons to stay in power, and then also because he was able to maneuver the United States into the supreme position in the, the world's pecking order. Uh, and post-World War II, you know, it became like, you know, crimes are us. The empire went out of control. Uh, we've killed 60 million innocent people around the world in military and CIA interventions since World War II, according to Voltcheck and Chomsky's book uh, on Western terrorism. And if that's not based on some you know conspiracy counts, this is based on just the standard counts of of, of the people that were killed in Vietnam, like you know three or three or four million, uh, the you know more than a million tortured to death in Indonesia in 1965 by 
Obama's uh, mother and stepfather and their CIA colleagues, and on and on and on and on, the crimes of the empire, very well known to anybody who's bothered to you know read people like Chomsky and William Bloom. So this empire is in very uh, uh, criminal, callous, and different human life. It has a superb propaganda apparatus for portraying itself as the good guy while it's doing all these things. And we've all been subjected to that propaganda apparatus as we grow up and go to school. So it's a rude awakening when we start to notice reality. And so the, the germ warfare side of this, as I said, was, yeah, that yeah, so so they nuked these Japanese cities, uh, mainly to send a message to the Russians. Japan was ready to surrender anyway. All they wanted was a figurehead emperor, and we ended up giving that to them anyway. So uh, the real reason for nuking those cities was to send a message to the Russians, who were just about to move into Japan <laughs> or challenge us. And so we crushed Japan. And then it turns out the among the worst crimes of World War II were the Japanese biological warfare crimes. Um, Japanese, as, as Gordon Duff says, were every bit, you know, they were, they were as bad as what we're told the Germans were. And the Germans weren't. The Germans were actually, if anything, the good guys here. The Japanese were horrific war criminals. And they, uh, they had this biological warfare program where they just tortured hundreds and thousands of people to death in their horrific bio-war experiments. And then they used their bio-weapons on the Chinese. And post-World War II, the U.S. then takes over Japan. And so did we try these bio-war criminals uh, for war crimes? You know, did we stage a new Nuremberg in, in Tokyo? I don't no, remember that. we uh, you? put him to work <laughs> building our own bio-war program. <laughs> I think his name was Toyota. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. And so then, so that stuff was then used in Korea. And then it, they went on and, as I said, bifurcated the program. The military did the more open sort of stockpiling of big piles of bioweapons. And the uh, a, a very cloak and dagger branch of the CIA and their friends took control of the actual, a lot of the R&D and then the actual deployment of the bioweapons, mostly on relatively small scale. Sometimes they've just poisoned an individual. But then they also, as I said, they, they attacked Cuba. They attacked Eastern Europe. Several Eastern European Soviet satellites had their wheat supplies uh, badly damaged by wheat rust, which was developed as a biological weapon. It was the, the tick-borne diseases were developed. There may have been a back-and-forth series of attacks between the U.S. And, and the Soviet Union that resulted in Lyme disease, uh, among other things, and on and on and on. There's this long history of actual covert biological warfare. It's been going on forever. Then in, in 2000, the neocons put out their Rebuilding America's Defenses Manifesto, uh, basically celebrating the fact that, as they said, that uh, in a very short time, uh, biological weapons targeting specific et ethnicities will become, quote, a politically useful tool. <laughs> so that's the world we're in. And so anybody who thinks that this is unlikely that the U.S. would launch a biological warfare attack against China to try and slow its economy and against Iran on behalf of its Zionist owners doesn't understand how the world works. <laughs> right. It's for real. I mean, this is, this is real stuff. Now, in terms of evidence, this is right right now, so far in your investigations, you're at the most likely scenario. Is that correct? Well, you know, I'm leaning towards the likelihood that this the difference in the batches of COVID vaccines uncovered by this Danish study, would the most likely explanation would be that experiment. And that's the scenario that I just explained. Uh, but I'm not certain by any means. I'm still right. waiting to hear. I, want, I, I need to get back to Peter McCullough and Merrill Nass and anybody else uh, I can find explaining why that would be unlikely. That is, would if, is there a reason why the people 
behind these vaccines couldn't have done this? Is there is there evidence that against the hypothesis that that's what they did? So far, I haven't seen any. Um, it all I'm hearing from Merrill and Peter is just this blanket assumption that it would have been just bad batches caused by uh, incompetence um, and and poor quality control. But I, show me some evidence. Uh, is there a reason why you think that's more likely than a deliberate experiment? I haven't seen the evidence yet. It's an incredible ongoing investigation that you're doing. Um, I'm concerned that you might actually run into a wall here somewhere down the road. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Obviously, the gentleman that just cut you off. He That's goes what Robert Malone says. Yeah, he, he, he used that, yeah. that that image, a wall. He says, yeah, you run in, they run into a wall. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and I think that's kind of where an investigative reporter like yourself might run into some wall down the road as you look further into this. Are you concerned at all? Well, it's uh, not, I mean, I, well, yeah, I mean, I'm concerned to be stuck in a world where these criminals have this kind of power. And I sure, you know, they'll, the people that would suffer from exposure of this would do whatever it took to stop it from coming out. Um, for better or worse, I doubt that I have the clout to break the story in such a way that it would actually threaten them, um, which means that it's not particularly obvious why they would bother to come after me in an illegal so way. So mainstream news is not going to be calling on you at all? Well, yeah. I mean, look look at what's been going on for the past you know, 20 years or whatever since I started dealing with 9-11 and researching that. At one point, right. mainstream media did come after me, mostly to you know try to make an example of me, and it didn't really work. They just publicized the 9-11 stuff and so then they learned their lesson. They stopped coming after me. But somebody like Seymour Hirsch, for example, if he were to go after this, you know, he might be in trouble. Uh, I mean, he does step on a lot of toes with the work that he does. And I think the people that would say kill journalists to try to stop this stuff from coming out, they always have to weigh whether the advantages outweigh the disadvantage, you know, the cost-benefit analysis. Killing Seymour Hersh, having Seymour Hersh, like, for example, he exposes the Nord Stream attack as a Joe Biden-ordered operation, and like he drops dead the next day, all that does is really confirm that he's right. It makes, you know, makes the bad guys look even worse. So for them, it's a no-brainer. No, we'll just marginalize him rather than kill him. And, and that's what they usually do because it just works better that way. So as far as like worrying about like me dropping dead tomorrow because I'm on this story, not really. Gotcha, gotcha. A question for you. You have a new background uh, behind you. I, I can't read it quite. Does that say croak? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's actually croquet. Uh, there's, croquet. There's a okay, T. Here's a T. That's a T. Anyway. Okay, I see that. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's an American that. croquet flag. Uh, I, I just it, it kind of appealed to the whimsical side of me. Plus, you know, we actually play croquet here. Uh, you know, my family and I have croquet games. Uh, we even outrage the bourgeoisie sometimes in Madison, Wisconsin, by going to a uh, public park in the city in the middle of winter and playing snow croquet, uh, and people think we're crazy. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> That is a little crazy, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's you know, I guess croquet has that association with Alice in Wonderland, which sort of appeals to me. Right, right. Now, now speaking of croquet and Alice in Wonderland, I understand uh, maybe the next time we'll be talking, uh, you'll be halfway around the world. Is that right? Yeah, that's entirely possible. Yeah, we're working on the move to Morocco, and uh, depending on how long you take to get back to me, it maybe it'll be there. 
Right, right. And uh, so it's a very exciting time in 2023. Uh, a lot of changes coming. So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see for your move and, and, and have it be successful and uh, a new perspective from the different part of the world. That'd be awesome. Yeah, thanks, Jen. Appreciate it. You're welcome. Now, before I let you go today, uh, Dr. Kevin Barrett, I, I want to talk about your last article uh, that you wrote for VT, Napoleon and Islam. I, I wasn't even aware there's a relationship. Can you explain uh, to our listeners around the world what that is? I could, but I'll make be very brief because this this is probably Peter McCullough. Uh, let's, let's do it. I did say bye. Yeah, that's, that, that is Peter McCullough, and I will call him back, and we'll see if he has any evidence that this is just bad batches rather than an experiment. Definitely want to hear about that. Okay, so we'll we'll get you on uh, next week about that. Uh, so go ahead and talk quickly about your Napoleon and Islam thing because I, I I wasn't clear about that. I was very interested to hear about that. Yeah, uh, this is an article by Mujahid Kamran, who's a Pakistani physicist, a very brilliant man. He's done a lot of research on history and has come to the conclusion that a sort of international banking cabal is behind all sorts of nefarious doings. Uh, and that Napoleon, he says, was an enemy of the international banking cabal, just like uh, these other leaders, um, Lincoln, to some extent, uh, and, 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 and others have opposed the cabal and often paid the price. And so Could he put thinks- JFK in that group? JFK, yeah, yeah. Let's not forget JFK, especially now that his uh, his nephew is running for president. Right. <laughs> but yeah, Napoleon, according to, to Mujahid Kamran, uh, he, well, he banned uh, Jewish usury. So he, he, but this was in service to helping to uh, assimilate Jews into French society. So he actually was not, you know, anti-Jewish at all. He was very pro-Jewish. See, at the time, the uh, power elite in France had generally been, you know, there'd been a certain ethnic rivalry, as there always is everywhere, wherever there's different ethnicities. And a lot of folks wanted to keep, you know, keep the Jews down or, you know, keep them in their place and not let them become normal citizens of France. And the liberal progressive Jews wanted to become normal citizens. Some other Jews didn't really. They liked being able to practice usury off in their own world. So, you know, there were all these different sides and different conflicting interests, as always. And Napoleon apparently favored the side of, let's Jews, why don't you just be normal French people? So in service to that, uh, and and also he strongly opposed any kind of, you know, discrimination or whatever against Jews. He went, you know, he supported Jews in their quest to be fully equal citizens of France. So, but to do that, he banned Jewish usury. He forced, he closed down the Jewish banks. And then he, he also uh, instituted a form of public banking. And this was, again, this is what Hitler did that too. One of the reasons that Hitler helped Germany recover so quickly from the total devastation it suffered in the 1920s was uh, his shutting down of private banking and his um, ending Jewish usury and instituting public banking. So Napoleon did the same thing that Hitler did uh, and uh, paid the same price. I mean, all these people ended up dying, whether you know, Lincoln, Napoleon, Hitler, JFK, you know, anybody who goes after that banking cabal uh, tends to ultimately pay the price, according to the analysis of people like Mujahid Cameron. Right. Super interesting. On that note, Kevin, obviously you're, you're move on to the next uh, uh, investigative conversation with the gentleman on the phone there. So I'm going to let you go. I want to thank you for being on VT Radio and explaining this to you, this bad, bad situation to us. And uh, looking forward to uh, further investigative reporting on this issue to find out uh, if this is actually uh, moving in that direction. So I want to thank you again. Don't forget to support Dr. Kevin Barrett. Dr. Kevin Barrett, tell us about how best to support what you're doing right now. Uh, people can subscribe to my Substack, preferably with a paid subscription at kevinbarrett.substack.com 
or you could send a one-time donation through PayPal to truthjihad at gmail.com. Gotcha. Now your subscription cost how much? Is it a monthly thing? Yeah, it's, it's six bucks a month. And then you get early access to things like both the pot. You get early access to pretty much all my podcasts. And you also get early access to some of my articles, like the one we're talking about today about the bad batches. Uh, the people who get to read it like three days before anybody else, before even the paid subscribers of the American Free Press would be my Substack subscribers. So you, you have to, if you subscribe my Substack, you get that three days before American Free Press. Uh, but that's paywall too. So, and then it's been at least another couple of days before, you know, paywall comes down and it goes out anywhere else. Actually, it probably won't even ever come down because American Free Press likes to keep my articles paywall. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. And of course, for those of you listening uh, on VT Radio today, don't forget to support VT Radio and all we do. Uh, we uh, buy me a cup of coffee.com. It's on our website. Uh, just go ahead and click on it and make a one time donation or a subscription to uh, a monthly subscription to what we're doing. It's really important, guys. Obviously, we're not on YouTube and YouTube ain't paying us a cent. So there's no revenue for that. And so if you want to keep the media alive, support Dr. Kevin Barrett's work and VT's work. Please do that. Reach out because we're not mainstream media and we're not getting funded by the corporations. Okay. So on that note, Kevin, get to it. I'll talk to you soon. Okay, my friend. Okay. Thanks, Jen. Take care. If you enjoyed this presentation, hit the like button now. Also, share it with your friends and don't forget to subscribe so that you don't miss an episode. VT approves this message.